Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 84 movies, one cage. Today's movie is Vengeance, a love story from 2017. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And today we have a very special guest. It's a new guest here on Cage Club. I feel like once we've completed, or once we completed the first phase of Cage Club last year, Mike, I feel like now that we have these gems delivered into our lap every two or three months, or, you know, we have another four or five maybe this year, between now and December, we are able to sort of comb through the internet and find people who love Cage as much as we love Cage. And so today we have Chris Koffel here. Chris writes The Tao of Nicolas Cage for Film School Rejects. Hi, Chris. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? I am doing fantastic. Very, very thrilled to be here. Well, thank you. We're thrilled to have you. So this is a movie uh, that re- that released in the UK, I think, in what, April? Mar- March or April. Oh, my and God. And this was like a huge sticking point for me as well. You know, we, we were like considered getting it in region right. two and watching that. and But yeah, eventually the fall release date was announced and here we are finally but i feel like the fall release date was announced like last week like it wasn't (laughs) they did there was no build it was just like oh you know next friday it's on amazon it's like Mm -hmm. oh okay yeah this was an impossible movie to figure out when it was coming out in the u.s and i don't know why i don't know why i mean i'm sure it's distribution but like Mm -hmm. you know it was on amazon you could buy the blu-ray on amazon from the uk since at least april uh, it's been floating around illegally on the internet, and like it's there, like the forbidden fruit. Like we can't, <laughs> we can't watch it. You know, it's it's accessible. I mean, you have to sort of jump through a few hoops as opposed to just you know renting from Amazon or whatever. But like, it's so close, and we can't grab it. And it was, but finally, <laughs> finally, it fell from that tree. That. <laughs> That shitty, shitty fruit from the rotten tree, <laughs> to quote Mr. Show, and here we are with Vengeance, a love story. It's funny that this is the movie that I've been, like, saving, you know? Like, I've had, like... I know. I've, it's been possible for me to watch this, but I've actually held off until now <laughs> with, like, high expectations and all. Chris yesterday messaged us on Twitter and said that he was starting to listen to our Dog Eat Dog episode. I was like, no, 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 listen to Inconceivable, because Inconceivable was way more fun, I thought, as an episode, just because that movie was crazy. Uh, And you said that Dog Eat Dog, the things that we were saying about that movie were hurting you. I mean, I know that you love Cage the way we love Cage, because we always try to find the positive in everything, but some of these movies is more difficult than others. Are you wholeheartedly embracing all of his films, including this one, or are you able to recognize when one is not necessarily as good as the rest of them. Now, I actually think on uh, both what I listened to of the Doggy Dog episode and uh, and I did switch to Inconceivable, um, a lot of things you guys are saying I agree with. Okay. Although I just thought, I thought Doggy Dog, it's not a good movie, but I thought it was pretty fun, except for all of the stuff, whoever the actor, that third guy is, third that you guys guy. mentioned. Third guy, yeah. The mm-hmm. stuff with him, like the stuff with him and that girl, it was like, felt like it was yep. a completely different movie. It seemed much cheaper, and like someone just set up a camera and they just went and did whatever they wanted. But the beginning with Defoe is nuts. Yeah. That's what was so frustrating. It's like you have Cage and Defoe and Schrader, who can go off the chain too as a director. And I actually liked where he was going with, you know, the color and stuff. But yeah, that, that third guy just kind of tanked it, unfortunately. It just broke the rhythm. There was a nice rhythm going, and yes. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. there. I completely agree, but at least it did get crazy again at the end. So right, and then so we made you switch over to Inconceivable, which was a nonstop thrill ride. I mean, not very much Cage in it, and he wasn't particularly crazy in it. But man, oh man, I still really love Inconceivable. Here for Vengeance, a love story. I feel like we get the same amount of Cage. 
as we did in Inconceivable. Mm. A little more, maybe. It's almost exactly the same. Like, it opens with Cage, and then he yep. just disappears for <laughs> 40 minutes. Um, yeah. it's almost, it also feels like another, like, like, like this is, like, Death Wish for Lifetime, oh. basically. <laughs> I had had that. It's like Death Wish, but from the victim's perspective. Like, you never see yep. what Charles Bronson is really up to. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Inconceivable, everything around Cage in this movie is hot, hot trash. Uh, and not in a good way, I don't think. I mean, there's some stuff in here. So jumping way ahead, the basic premise of this movie is that... Oh, actually, okay, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place because I don't know where to begin to get to the point I want to get to. Did either of you recognize who the main woman was? Uh, she's from Cabin in the Woods, right? Yeah, yes. Cabin in yes. the Woods. Jules from Cabin mm-hmm. in the Woods, which yeah. I didn't realize at first. And I looked her up. I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's great. It struck me about... I'd say by the time when she was getting assaulted, it hit me because like the horror vibe started to kick in. It's like, oh, and right. that's where she's from. So we'll go back to the beginning. We'll start from the beginning. But she is assaulted and raped by these four, I don't know, like trash guys in this town. Yeah. And Cage is a detective who finds her daughter, who was at the same scene of the crime, rescues the mom, and then sees the guys get acquitted, and then takes it upon himself to kill them all. Well, not even acquitted. They're just like... It looks like they're going to get acquitted, right? Like that yeah, they haven't first even gone like, to trial yet. It was like the pre-trial, and like the defense or the defense lawyer played by Don Johnson, which we will get to, oh, yeah. uh, is pretty great. And he's buddy-buddy with the judge, who is crazy. <laughs> and even before they go to trial, even before like they're... like I, uh, I Again, I don't want to jump ahead. Like I don't know why you don't wait till they're acquitted and then go kill them. I don't know why you do it before. But anyway, <laughs> the first guy he kills where he just headshots the guy, I was like, I literally like audibly gasped and sat up straight on my couch. I was like, oh, like this is about to get interesting. And then it stops for another like 15 minutes. I was like, how is this movie so willing to get crazy and then not keep that energy up? And that was my big problem with this. Well, that's how I felt after it started because it starts off like that beginning scene with Cage and his partner waiting oh, the yeah, on some dude. Yeah. yeah, and then like they had that crash that's actually pretty good and then his partner just gets blown away and I'm like, okay, this is what I want. And then it just stops. It was really weird because, like, Cage gets hit by a car and pops, like, back up and they make the arrest. And I'm like, all right, like, this is going to be like a cop action movie. And and we're getting hero cop Cage again. So I was really excited for that. I feel like everything needed to be sped up. Like, all the stuff with the trial and the girl and everything should have been over within, like, a half hour, 40 minutes. And then the rest of the movie needed to be Cage taken out way more than four meth heads like he needed to right. there needed to be like another gang and like more stuff going on he needed to like not just shoot them all i think at least not right away like i wanted to see him like mm, like toy beat with people them. with his hands yeah and they like they kind of mess with the little girl a little bit like it would be cool which if, is super <laughs> weird yeah that's time you could have had cage messing with the meth heads like you know driving them more paranoid or something this movie does not know how to deal with the concept of time either in terms of pacing or the time jumps because there's that scene in the beginning well actually before the scene in the beginning i just want to talk quickly about the very very opening where it's the most plain oh. font in the opening <laughs> titles i've ever seen it was done with windows movie maker i think yes. pretty much yeah produced by saturn films which is cage's film company and also patriot pictures yeah. which i've never heard of before <laughs> no and i looked patriot pictures up by the way because i also had never heard of them and apparently they've done i actually have their website pulled up right now they did a similar movie a couple years ago or that came out earlier this year or late last year called i am wrath with john travolta oh huh but I've heard of that i haven't seen that According to this website, like they, according to their website, they have a James, like a multiple James Franco movies coming out. And apparently the guy who started this company, it says that he funded 
or helped finance like a bunch of like Reservoir Dogs and really True Romance Air Force One. Oh, so I I don't know. I'd never heard of them either. I wonder if that's like revisionist history. Like he went and see those. He went and saw those movies in theater and bought a ticket. He's like, I'm 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 financing the movie. Or he just contributed oh, some true. money to those, and now he's like his own type of you know producing company. Yeah, because those are like Weinstein movies. Like they did all the money. Like he might have just thrown. I don't I don't know. But that's I, I love that that's his claim to fame. I guess. Yeah, and they're clearly two separate things. Like he has like movies that they're apparently they've worked on which also includes a USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Oh, okay. um, and then there's a separate part that says financed films, and then it includes like these really good movies. The director of this film mm-hmm. is predominantly a stunt guy. Yeah, uh, He was uh, on The Rock, USS Indianapolis, Gone in 60 Seconds, Drive Angry, Seeking Justice, oh, wow. Rage, and Wind Talkers. So he's worked with Cage a lot. Oh. We also know that Marco knows him. Mm-hmm. So if we have Marco on the podcast again, we can talk to Marco about this. But Mike, did you know Cage was supposed to direct this movie? Yes. Oh, I did know that. Yeah. That shocked me. I couldn't imagine him doing this project. Something like Sonny, I feel like that makes a little more sense. It has a stamp on it. Harry Dean Stanton in that also. Um, rest in peace. R.I.P. R.I.P. power. But no, I, I, I'm glad he didn't direct this, uh, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I don't know if he could have gotten to where he got if he was had his attention split. Like, there, he gets to a pretty dark place in this movie, <sighs> I think. It's not, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. It's based on a Joyce Carol Oates short story or a novel called Rape a Love Story. So that is a thing. Like, she's a very big <laughs> name in literature. This is another Cage Club adaptation. I was just stunned that the director is mostly a stunt guy. I mean, like, sometimes the stunt guys, like, you know, the John Wick guys, like, you know, guys can go from stunts to directing really well. I don't think that is necessarily the case here. Mm. And the other note that I have about the behind-the-scenes thing is the guy who wrote this is mostly a TV writer, including a bunch of House of Cards stuff, but he's also writing Xander, which is a Cage movie coming out next year, which means that I'm Hmm. not super excited for Xander. Well, the stuff about him being a stuntman turned director, like, that's what I... Like, I could see that in that opening scene. And, you know, the movie even starts with Cage, like, at the gun range, like, shooting. So, like, there's all these things that make you think it's going to be an action movie. And it's weird that he emphasizes the drama and all of the sort of soap opera aspects of the film instead. And it just gets, like, kind of dumb and stupid. Like, it's there's enough material here to say, okay, I'm going to come in and, like, make this more action-packed because I'm a stunt guy. There is opportunity there. So that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate to hear that there's a guy who could have made this cooler. Right. That's why I think, actually, if Cage would have directed this, it would have been an entirely different movie. I think it would have just been nonstop crazy. At least that's what I like to imagine. I really want to see... I mean, we were just talking recently about how we want Cage to direct again. Mm -hmm. Sonny was fine. Sonny was pretty good. There was... I mean... Cage in Sunny was great as Acid Yellow. I think since we saw Keanu's movie... Oh, yeah, Man of Tai Chi. Man of Tai Chi, we were like, oh, a guy that we're following as an actor can actually make a great movie, and we want to see Cage do another one. Yeah, I just think that, I don't know, he, he might he might have done some interesting stuff with it, but we've I've already seen him do, like, Sunny is very melodramatic, and it... it kind of like tackles a lot of just this same not like gang rape or anything like that but it's just very a very sexually sort of charged drama i would like to see cage kind of 
do something way different, like maybe something much more comedic or something that's rom-com. more... Sh- rom-com. Yeah, there you go. I would love to see a Cage rom-com. I mean, it's my favorite genre. I don't know that we're ever going to get Cage in a leading role in a rom-com, but he could be, you know, like a wisecracking old man or something to a younger love story. He could be someone's dad. Yeah. That's also true. Mm-hmm. He has to like, meet the parents, sort of, in a, yeah. in a way. But what I do love about this movie is that, once again, I think, Mike, I can speak for you, Mike, uh, our favorite recent Cage Connection is young, beautiful women finding Cage like odd, like yes. she like finding him irresistible. Like she walks by him, a uh, Tina spelled T E E N A terribly walks by Cage in a bar and like basically I fucks him and I'm like what is going on and then she puts on music and goes to dance with I guess her friend her friend's like no I gotta leave and then she just goes down and we don't see the full thing but like talks to him for what must be the whole night and he doesn't say anything and she's like you know you can call me you're a good listener but then she has a boyfriend like what is going on (laughs) do they talk the whole night because when she leaves the same song that she put on that's right she requested is still is like finishing maybe she put it on two or three times because yeah i picked that up as sort of like one of those things in film where it's like oh sometimes in movies they'll start a conversation in one location and (laughs) you know, continue it out, like, down the block or something, but they won't skip a beat, and that's sort of, I was like, either this song is a really long, extra-length version, or they're listening to it a couple times in a row. Right, but as I think, uh, Joe, I think you mentioned earlier, the film is uh, not great with time. That's another <laughs> great example, because in that opening scene, his partner mentions, like, his wife's sister is coming for Christmas, and then the very next scene is in the bar, um, in which I assume they, like, reference him as a hero cop and he mm-hmm. says that was way back in april and she says okay a month ago so i have no idea yeah and then uh like a scene or two later it's the fourth of july like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what? either there was a huge gap from that opening scene to the bar or his partner was like getting prepared for christmas eight months <laughs> in advance this movie takes place over six years guys like i don't know if you're no <laughs> His partner was killed on the scene. You know, Cage discharges his gun. He gets sent to what they say is 30 days of desk duty. And they're talking about that like that's the worst thing in the world. It's like, well, it's, you know, a month. Like, it doesn't seem that crazy. And then the girl comes up, and she's like, oh, I know you. You're the hero cop. He's like, that was back in April. She's like, yeah, a month. I'm like, like, you're right. Like, then it's 4th of July. Like, there's... It also feels like it's beyond time. Like, nothing feels... (laughs) Right, because they don't reference that it's the 4th of July on the 4th of July, right? It's just like summer fireworks party night is what I thought. Or like, it's it, a barbecue. I guess it could and then, be Memorial Day? Well, a couple scenes later, they say the incident took place on the 4th of July, and I was like, okay, there's my confirmation. Oh, what? Yeah, Don Johnson mentions it. Oh, my God. I know. Well, I believe me, I was listening super close because I was very <laughs> confused. We also... Another thing that they don't really take use of at all, and I just assumed... In the opening, in the very, very opening, in the opening credits, we see Cage as a marksman cop in the shooting range, and he's got this tight grouping, and he's like a sharpshooter, and obviously setting it up for later in the movie, but he's wearing the NFPD sweatshirt, and I was like, what is NFPD? Then I realized it was Niagara Falls, I was like, please let that be, you know, like a part of the plot, and like, it kind of is, but also doesn't like feel like it is at all. You know what I mean? Like, it's it doesn't feel important enough, and to me, this just felt like all 
the rest of the run of recent Cage movies that all just take place in Cincinnati because it's cheap to shoot in Ohio. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like I don't get a sense of place from this movie either. Like, it's it's a it's a movie beyond place and time. Uh, yeah, the one the only time that ever came into play at all was when he shoots the guy off Niagara Falls, or I'm assuming that's Niagara Falls. I've never actually been there, so they could be stunting uh, special effects or something. You're right. Like, there needed to be, like, way more about that like we we complain about, i feel like not complain but like it's noticeable when you're not using your surroundings and they could be a benefit to you you know i think of right. like something like copland like really used you know like fort lee well and like you get into the nook and crannies of of that neighborhood and stuff and so it was kind of a bummer we do get two or three scenes at those falls but i was expecting way more people to sort of die there or be a, like the giant kind of climax maybe would be at the at niagara falls or something they're also super 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 close to the falls. Like, there's no way that there's not yeah. a railing up there. Like, they just drive up to it. I mean, I've never been, but I assume that you can't just drive up to <laughs> no. Niagara Falls. You are 100% correct. Yeah, and I also had a tough time. Like, I actually looked up to see where it was filmed because I knew that they had mentioned Niagara Falls a few times. But, like, to me, it felt like it was somewhere in the south, but that just could be because, like, all of the characters were so white trashy. Mm. Um, but I looked it up, and it says that part of it was filmed in Niagara Falls, but it looks like the rest was filmed in Georgia, I think. Yeah, because okay. Don Johnson is totally doing, like, a Southern lawyer thing going <laughs> on, and, like, the family is definitely, you're right, like, they're they're more moonshiners than meth heads, I feel like, at that <laughs> one point. I feel like it's like a reverse Arsenal, because remember how Arsenal was originally called Philly Fury, and mm. then it was called Southern Fury, and then it was called Arsenal, and it just, like, kept moving its way south. Like, this feels <laughs> like it started in the south and just kept moving its way north and no one got the memo except for the costume department. Mm. I wish they put it in the title, like if it was like Niagara Vengeance or something, because just Vengeance, a love story, doesn't really roll off my tongue too well. I mean, it's better. It's much better than the book title, Rape a Love Story, of course. But yeah, maybe that would have helped. I, yeah, definitely get the, get, get the uh, setting a little more involved next time. There's also really, really terrible CGI, at least one shot I noticed, of Cage walking by the waterfall that is, or by the Niagara Falls, that is very clearly CGI, and I was like, why is that, like, it's just like they, they don't care to make it seem believable, like, I don't, like, if you're filming up there, use, like, there's so much you could do, it's almost like they didn't have a permit to shoot there, they're like, well, we just gotta make it work however we can make it work, and get out of here before, you know, the cops show up. It's like Tommy Wiseau, where it's like, why would we shoot at Niagara Falls, where we could just green screen it, and we'll just <laughs> shoot right over here, in, uh, you know, down the street from Niagara Falls, <laughs> Yeah, there must have been something going on, but you figured this guy is a stunt director, right? So he's got safety first on the mind, so maybe they were really that close, and they just had wires we couldn't see that they green-screened out or something like that. But that's the other thing. It's just more confusing than anything else. Like, why are you standing so close? What is going on with all this? Like, why can't we be doing better things with this movie? <laughs> like, why isn't Cage talking? <laughs> and, like, when he, uh, when he meets up the two brothers and, like, gives them a call and says he's got, like, information or whatever, why would Niagara Falls be the place to meet? It seems like that would not be, like... <laughs> Like, it seems like Niagara Falls is pretty popular, I would think, and it's not going to be, like, a very secretive place. Anyone could see them there. Um, I guess just so you could knock them off the waterfall. They're there three or four times, and each time, there's literally no one else around. Yeah, yeah I always thought it was, like, a touristy place, but apparently not. It it's also seems kind of weird. It's, like, he sh he kills these two brothers and by sho shoving them or shooting them off of Niagara Falls, but then the police don't even find their bodies or anything like at the bottom of the falls like they just 
assume well, that they... I think they're probably going to be swept away. Yeah, they, 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 they just they assume could... that they get, like, go missing or something, right? Yeah, but I mean... They left even, town? Even guys that, like, go over Niagara Falls in barrels, they eventually, like, pieces of them wash up ashore eventually, or they go looking, like, at least sweep the river or something, and it, it was just really weird that, like, all of that effort... If he wanted people to know they died or something, he should have just, like, lured them back into the woods and burned them inside like their lab or something like that. I don't know. One thing about Cage's character in this movie that I don't, I can't think of another example, maybe I'm missing one, he's a widower in this movie. Mm-hmm. I guess he's probably had a dead wife. Has he? I, I'm not sure. He's had divorced wives, like uh, Stolen, oh, right? Yeah. Is They've been uh, they're split up, but I don't know if he's ever been a, like, it's important to his character because that's how he connects with Tina because her husband died. Oh, the best line of dialogue maybe in the entire movie is when the bartender goes to Cage. Yeah, that's Tina. See over there? She's got a daughter. Her husband was, they had a great relationship and then his husband got cancer. Now she's a single mother. She's like, what? Like, who, <laughs> who does that? Well, somebody had to get her backstory across. <laughs> oh, so Why not the bartender? But the thing is that upset me actually, the widower part because their whole like interaction at the bar, like you think it's going to like it's gonna mean more it really doesn't mean anything it's just so they can like kind of meet each other because again a month or two later she has a boyfriend and they apparently haven't talked since that time at the bar yeah it also is weird that like it feels like cage is connected to the daughter too yes. right and, like there's no yes. like we don't have any especially because at the very very end of the movie they have like this what's supposed to be like a heartfelt you know, face-to-face conversation about how they're leaving town and thank Cage and everything. The mom even says, I'll give you to a moment or something yeah. like that. <laughs> that, yeah, that it would have been weird. it would have been much better if like he was a widower and like maybe his wife and daughter died some right. way tragically together. Or his daughter died and the wife left because the daughter died. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's ways that like he could be like, oh this is like the family that I whatever. I don't know, but mm-hmm. anything is better than what this is. <laughs> Have Cage's wife be the one who well, I guess that already happened in Seeking Justice, but like you know, it's a <laughs> oh, just gets assaulted. <laughs> yeah, when his wife's the one that gets assaulted, it's just a better movie. I guess the Hungry <laughs> Rabbit Jumps. Exactly. But I did also find that very jarring where by the end of the movie, it turns out that Cage and this little girl have grown like really close together. He's this protector and she's got to say goodbye to her guardian angel or whatever. I was like, where did we get here all of a sudden? Like, how did I didn't I didn't track those relationships. <laughs> they only had like what one scene together, I think maybe it's not like mm-hmm. Joe where he's been looking after her this whole time. So there's the scene in the hospital after she's assaulted and they're in the waiting room. And the girl goes from being crying and being scared of Cage to, like, basically, you're my new dad in, like, 15 <laughs> seconds. Oh, it's because he likes he likes uh, Daffy Duck. That's why. My favorite is Daffy Duck. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like they don't talk again until the very end of the movie. The only other time I remember them interacting is when Cage drives her home one time. And the daughter looks out the window and is like, oh, he's going to be my new dad again. But they don't talk there. You know what I mean? Like it's They do one real quick. He, he comes into the house and, and, and the mom goes like right to bed. And he goes, your mom's like not feeling great, obviously, you know. But like he's like, here's my card. If you need anything, just give me a call. <laughs> I was like, you gave her your card. And then he just runs out the door. Yeah, it's very strange. He also doesn't do anything. Like, he clearly sees that they killed the cat and hung it in front of their doorway, and he does nothing about it. That's the weirdest thing about this movie, I think, is that the four guys, I don't understand their plan. 
So <laughs> wait, who? Wait, the guys? Oh, the yes. The so attackers. okay. So okay. going back to the Fourth of July party, right? Mm-hmm. So they're at this party, and the daughter is sitting on the roof. Tina is being like this sex pot, you know, dancing on a table. Looks like she's about to take her top off. Like it seems super close to that in slow motion, and she's like this like object, and you know, look how hot she is. She's still young. Blah blah blah. Then she looks and sees her daughter on the roof and freaks out as an overprotective mom. That basically kind of ends the party we've cut later and the daughter's asleep and they're walking home then it's like i don't know midnight and they're taking a shortcut through the woods and then they run into these four guys who then beat them and bring them inside and then let the daughter sort of run and hide and then rape the mom it doesn't feel premeditated right like they didn't know that she was going to be there like don't doesn't the defense or doesn't the prosecution lawyer say something about like how they stalked her like mm-hmm. yeah for 10 minutes the premeditation of 10 minutes I yeah. mean, obviously what they did was terrible but i just don't understand nothing about that is clear and it's not like oh this is her memory of the event and like it's not supposed to be clear it's like no this is like an objective third person view and it's just weird yeah the attack is confusing because i actually thought she was gonna get attacked by the guys at the party because she was being a tease or whatever and left early and that she kind of just wanders through this property and offhandedly remarks that what's his face used to live here in high school and then i guess that's the dude and and his friends and i actually thought like this was gonna lead to a whole thing about meth labs again i'm bringing that up because it was like burning in the newspaper in the opening credits there was stuff like about that i was like oh exposition in the credits i kind of don't like that but that never comes to be and yeah and then they just they're just out of control they just basically it seems like they're just like well we're just gonna kill her nothing (laughs) like as if they've done it before it's just like a regular friday night like because they don't know they're getting don johnson to defend them or anything yeah that whole moment when they when they um when she meets them it escalates so quickly like as soon as they see her they're like, this is what we're going to do, and then they just do it. Like, I don't understand what they were doing, but it seems like they were just hanging out. Right. Um, but then, yeah, they were ready to beat someone to death and rape someone to death immediately. It also feels like they were going to do the same thing with the daughter, too. Like, they're beating the shit out of the daughter outside. They carry her in, and then the one guy puts her down, and, like, they don't pursue her. Like, it just feels like that whole scene is unclear, which is pretty important because that's the whole crux of the movie yeah like, like it shouldn't just be four guys that we've never seen before yeah attention to detail i don't think was a big was a big thing when they were working on this movie because i also thought it would have made more sense if it would have been the guy from the party because even it definitely wasn't like her boyfriend boyfriend because her daughter made a comment about like she's been seeing him for the last hour so i think it would have made more sense if like that guy from the party and his friends ended up attacking her yeah and then that guy from the party ends up showing up at the bar when cage you know in the parking lot like one of those guys that raped her throws him through like his car window and that's the guy that's when cage john wicks him in the head with the just boom just like shoots him right in the head uh so it's not like that guy like the actual boyfriend also maybe he should have been more involved in this movie too like teamed up with cage or been around the mother more to protect her but he drops off which makes that just that just makes me more confused as to was he part of the gang wasn't he i mean just just have cage date Tina, problem solved. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would make the most sense. But the the boyfriend, Casey, I think his name was, he went to the hospital with flowers, and her mom was like, "What are you doing here? Leave." Yeah. 
Oh, man. The mother character. I don't know who played that. I couldn't really understand a word that came out of her mouth. It just... I don't know what was up with that actor, but I wish there was someone else playing that role. I mean, or it didn't even really need to be there anyway, because the little daughter was, like, taking care of the mom and the grandma. I'm glad the mom was there, because in the bar scene, this is a, a clip that I had Mike pull... Tina, for some reason, one of the first things she says to Cage is she does an impression of her mother about how her mother wants her to move in with her, which there's no payoff to that. Like, it's just, she basically is forced to move in, and she's like, Mom, not here, and the mom's like, nope, and that's it. Like, that's the end of the thread. Like, okay. To me, I don't know if either of you felt this way, but it felt like she was doing an impression of Cage and not her mom. Just, like, not in how she sounded, but, like, his cadence. Like, I was hearing Cage in her voice, and I was like, what is happening right now? My mom wants us to move in with her. Martine. Our cancer. Cigarette. Martine, <clears throat> a 10 year old girl needs stability. I definitely didn't pick up on that. I watched the beginning again, too, just like 10 minutes ago. I, I didn't either. And when I was pulling those clips, though, she went. Like, not during the part where she's impre- impersonating her mother, but when she first sort of like moseys over to Cage she says the character's name his name is john something or anything but she kind of says that as if she was cage i thought and i that's why i pulled both clips because i wasn't sure which one you were referring to i'm martin mcguire friends call me to you now you say your name john is this girl a psychic but I think it's just like he doesn't talk. Right, he barely, he's like a mute in this movie, which kind of bothered me for uh, no but, reason. But I love his face in this film. It's amazing. Like his <laughs> face is so fucking. It's like the most amazing poker face in the world. Like when he's talking to the cops and when he's talking to Don Johnson at the end. Like it, it looks almost like someone took a photograph and just like digitally put it there. Like he's a stand-up or something. It's just amazing. He's so still. But I didn't. I didn't see the other thing just the way that she's just like martine now martine like i don't know to me i was like that sounds like the way cage would do this impression i guess it's just rub it rubs off on the actors around him you know like a little bit of cage just bleeds into all the performances <laughs> or maybe he was doing a little directing on the side oh hey now here's how i would say that line oh, okay i'll do it like that <laughs> there is my favorite bit of trivia is that in one of these bar scenes, there's an extra in a booth on the other side of Cage. And this is a guy that Cage met at that bar in real life a few months before, and the guy had a tattoo of Cage's face on him. And so Cage is like, you're going to be in my movie. That's just so wonderful to me. <laughs> you can't, you have to know that to know he's in the movie. Like, that kind of... <laughs> I, oh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> you know, like... If it well, was can like... you imagine? Can you imagine if the guy was, like, an actual character in the movie, and, like, you see the Cage tattoo, it's like, well, that's not a tattoo of Nicolas Cage, that's a tattoo of this hero cop. Like, that would be <laughs> the weirdest little bit of, like, Cageception. I don't... I, w- I want that now, though. Yeah, I guess you don't have to show the tattoo, but it would be nice if, like, you were that guy and you could actually, like... Be like, there's my face for three seconds on screen or something, as opposed to, yeah, I was somewhere in the background. But that's awesome. I, if I ever got a cage <laughs> tattoo, I wish I'd run into him and show him as well. I think another weird thing this movie does, and I think it's just so that we can get introduced to Don Johnson, even though I don't know you can do it in any other way, <laughs> is that there's the scene where suddenly we're in the perspective of the boys, two of the boys are brothers, and we're with their parents, who we don't really know, and they're talking to a minister... And the minister's like, my advice is to get the best defense lawyer you can get. And like, not like, you know, not prey on it, but just like, hey, go spend money on this guy. 
and then they get Don Johnson, and then that's oh. how he gets introduced <laughs> to the movie. It's just, it's, it's, I'm like, why are we in this house? I don't know why we're in that house, but I do have a question about Don Johnson as, as the lawyer character. Yep. Did the priest recommend him because he gets priests off for, like, messing with kids oh. and things? That is exactly what I thought. Like, I assumed I like that, that that had to be the message that was being sent. Yeah, because something was up with that priest guy, too. Like, he was acting real creepy as well. Yeah, um, he was like, he's very expensive, but it's he's worth it, trust me. Yeah, he's like, he's done great work for the church yeah. or something. <laughs> I think I know why they were in the house. They were in the house because we had to see if the house was pretty nice. Like, it would be enough to pay the lawyer's fees since oh. they had to put the house up. Right, yeah. I think you're right. We needed to spend some time there. Yeah, see their sort of their quality of life. Yeah, because they lived, like, even though the, the brothers and their sister are, like, total brats and deadbeats, like, they actually, their parent, like, the dad, at least, is a hardworking guy and seems to have, like... And their house is paid off. Like, yeah. He's like, I, I worked 30 years to pay this house off, and now you just put it on the kid, the kid, like a... Uh, but the mom is insane. It's like she's yes. and the so mom is fine. crazy. Why is the sister in this movie at all? She walks out of the house looking like a whore, and the dad's like, "You're not walking out looking like that." And she just flips him off. And then the only other time I remember her in the movie is when Tima's daughter is at a convenience store, and she goes up to her and she's just like, "That shit your mom's saying about my brothers isn't true. You better tell her to stop it." And then like I don't remember her again. Like why is that? read in this movie. Uh, she yells at reporters too, at one point. <laughs> but like, why is she there at all? She was probably someone's sister. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. She I met Cage no at the bar one night. Or <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you're in the movie. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, you know what? I think it would have been stronger if there weren't any more kids because then when they lose, they're only, you know, she loses her sons. It's like even tougher for her, right? Like, it's right. like, ah, you got no more kids left because you're your jerk-off sons, you know, gang-raped this bitch, and now, like, Punisher Cage had to take him out over Niagara Falls. Like, <laughs> also, now you're homeless. Right, yes. Also weird, I guess it's, like, thematically relevant, but, like, Don Johnson's reason for why he's worth it is because he's gonna keep their boys from being raped in prison like this innocent woman was raped. He's saying to them, hey, we know your sons raped this woman. I'm not going to say that, but we know what happened. And by the way, if you want to make sure that they're not raped, you better pay me. And I'm like, this is like super slimy. Uh, also, what was strange about him is he was super slimy and super expensive. But then he was like, I'm going to cut a deal so they don't have to spend three years in prison. That's, it also, seems like- that's what's weird is that he, he's paid by the hour, right? <laughs> but like, he shows up late to court and is like, let's finish this case up as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, he actually, he what? He wanted to enact like the right to a speedy trial? Yeah. <laughs> but like, your retainer is like, is like a fortune. Like, what is he... He's like, let's get this over with as, as quick as possible. I've got these four clients. I don't want their money. Very strange. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe maybe it was just uh, that's all. They didn't have enough money even with putting up the house. So Oh, that's um, I like that, too. The house is only worth a speedy trial. Like, we got to get this done, done and over. But the whole plan was that it's not even going to get the trial. So I thought was he was going to sort of run this defamation of character against her in like that whole arraignment right. or pretrial thing. Because I think he tries something where she gets up on the stage that like he tried to say like oh she can't like point them out or something and then she like flips off she like flips out she's like it's them it's them it's them it's them it's them so like yeah i think his whole thing is like this ain't even getting to trial um and then when it finally they set a court date he's like yeah your kids are gonna go to jail (laughs) like no matter what (laughs) yeah he isn't like he, he doesn't i mean maybe he talks a better game 
then he actually delivers. Maybe he just, you know, outside of the church, he can't deliver as as well. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like based on that pretrial, if I were him, I would have liked my odds going to trial. Because he's best friends with a judge. And the judge also <laughs> in that pretrial is like correcting Cage on his grammar? I'm like, why is this happening? Because he was like, you remember that he was like, me and my mm-hmm. partner, and the judge is like, I'm sorry, sir, it's actually my partner and I. I'm like, why is this a thing that's like, I guess he's just like a freewheeling maverick judge that's gonna like, you know, say it like it is, but like, what? Like, what's the purpose of that? Well, he also told uh, Tina, he's like, can you take your sunglasses off? It's not that bright in here. Perhaps she could try squinting. Yes! Oh, I mean, he's obviously, he that. yeah, he's clearly on the side of Don Johnson and in the pocket of all that and just enamored that he's even even gracing him with his presence in his courtroom but joey when the grammar correction thing came up i thought of you because this is sort of like becoming a cage connection in seeking justice he corrects the lady at the newspaper about grammar where oh she does yeah she asks him something right yeah yeah and he's like no like you don't use that in a sentence at this you use it here in a sentence or something and so it it just alerted me i like I, like, stood up. I was like, why are we having another grammar lesson? Well, but at least in, in Seeking Justice, it makes sense. He's a teacher in that, right? Yes. Yes, it does make sense. Yeah. yeah. I do like, I mean, as as out of place as a felt here, I love that grammar correction is entering the mainstream. I mean, in Game of Thrones, we've now had three or four times where Stannis or Davos is like, fewer instead of less it's just like oh let's make sure that like in these shows that everybody's watching or these movies that nobody's watching that they know proper grammar like it's so weird but i love it there was also a zach efron thing that we watched lately and talked about on zag attack where they talk about grammar oh it was a clip it was one of the clips in the clip show and i was like oh this is great like i love <laughs> i love hearing zeph talk about grammar <laughs> oh also in that courtroom scene after don johnson gives his speech and his their defense is basically uh she was asking for it because she was drunk he like sort of like mic drops and then the entire crowd <laughs> erupts into applause like standing ovation like what yeah that whole court scene was just completely insane because the judge like not only did he correct uh, Cage's grammar and he asked her to take asked Tina to take her glasses off but then when she started having like a breakdown he was like you need to get her under control but then when the court gave that ovation like he didn't say anything right that I think is my favorite sequence in the movie because <laughs> it's just like bizarro world like when Tina's walking into court the mother and everyone is like whore whore like hissing and like sass and like all the it's like you don't it's like cartoonish like that isn't that isn't yeah, it's realist. like something out of Tim and Eric I, do, I did right. not understand it did feel like that all. yeah like I don't know if it was supposed to be like super like I don't know the point they were trying to make with that scene maybe it yeah insane. it's just like look how just inept it's all like this is the, oh yeah i don't know <laughs> i feel like if the movie did a job setting this up something like you know in the public consciousness right now is the movie it and if they set up something like it like hey this town has basically been bred on evil and like from the beginning of the movie they're like look at how terrible everyone is except for this like select few like mm-hmm. you have the mother daughter and the defense lawyer or the prosecution lawyer and cage it feel i keep saying defense lawyer because it feels like she's on the defensive even though she's the one pressing charges like this whole thing is just, you know <laughs> topsy-turvy she wasn't a great lawyer either no like... she's also terrible that what was the are you thinking of the oh, that uh, reminds me of the keanu club the, keanu the, whole, the whole truth right yep. is, yeah with his like needless assistant that lawyer was great she was great but like well she wasn't good enough to figure out keanu was the killer i'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for the whole truth. But like I feel like if, if this court scene had been placed in this movie after a build-up where it's a town bred on violence and hatred, because it also feels like the movie is trying to set up like an idyllic small town that this 
you know, singular act of violence sort of like rings through the town. It's her life is great. She's got this daughter, you know, she's got a boyfriend, she's got all these friends at this party, and then like she loses everything in an instant. And I feel like that's what they're trying to set up, but then like, no, it's just everything else around her is terrible too. It's inconsistent and it's strange. Yeah, it, it seemed to me that everyone in town kind of hated her. Uh, and was sort of happy that this happened to her, or not happy, but like... But like, why? That too, I don't understand why. I, it needed something, right? Like, we talk about sometimes how, like, the town can play a character, and, like, definitely in It, I feel like it does, and it does it well and everything. I mean, we don't have to go supernatural in this film at all, but you could definitely lay a little heavier on sort of, like stereotypes and stuff if we're not going to take the time to explore backstories like i still have no idea what is going on with cage's character in this movie there's obviously there's some kind of rage boiling up behind his eyes in this movie but we never get any sort of like clue as to what or why like we never even find out how his wife died i understand that like he is the on the poster because he's the one who's going to sell this movie right like it feels like it's another example of the trust you know when nicholas cage is in your movie he gets the entire budget but like he's gonna sell the movie like you have cage in there so it's gonna find distribution right so i understand why he's on the poster but he's also set up in the movie to be the guy that you're supposed to root for to be the guy that like you're supposed to like be like oh he's gonna go kill everybody but we don't know it you're right mike like we don't know any of it we don't know his backstory there's no effort at all paid to tie that opening scene into anything. We don't know what his relationship is with anybody at work. He's, I guess, high enough up or competent enough as a cop to know how to get out of, like, basically a wrongful killing. You know what I mean? Like, is this a commentary on, like, you know, black lives? Like, I don't I don't know what this is. Like, I don't know why this is happening. Other than just a bad movie. I mean, that's the bottom line. <laughs> but I want, a, I want more of an explanation yeah. than that. It definitely isn't, like, with, with Inconceivable, like, I kind of knew going in that Cage wasn't going to be at the forefront, even though, you know, he was in the middle of the poster and stuff, just based on what the plot was. But, yeah, with, with this one, like, I thought for sure, like, this is going to be Cage 90 minutes of him just torturing and killing bad guys, but I don't know, he's on screen for maybe 30-ish minutes of the film. And then I also, it's a good point with, like, I don't know if this is supposed to be any type of, like, social commentary on, like, police violence or, like, the way, like, rape culture or what exactly they're going at. Like, I don't know if this movie is supposed to be taking, like, a right-wing angle, a left-wing angle. It's very confusing. Yeah, the only thing I could really get out of it is that like it's sexist like you know the the boys are gonna get off and the girl is a liar because Which it's not like for the course in cage <laughs> pretty much i mean because it's not like a white privilege con man because everybody in the movie is white you know it would be one thing if i feel like they raped like um an immigrant or something like that but it's not even that's not even part of the story either it's just like look at all these white people problems i don't know and they're like i'm white and i don't get it <laughs> i guess you have to be from niagara falls and it would make more sense <laughs> So I don't understand the original plot to beat and rape this woman. Like, I don't know how long that had been cooking for or if it was a spur-of-the-moment thing, but I don't understand why the four guys keep tormenting her. Like, there's no history. Like, why do they go to the house and kill the cat and string the cat up and then, I guess, only for the one guy to be like, meow. Like, that's kind of funny, I guess. <laughs> they go up to the girl in the mall. Like, they, they follow. Like, it just, why? Like, what's the backstory there? Is the entire backstory gleaned from that half line, you know, thrown aside in that walk through the woods? Like, is that all that we're supposed to 
base this entire rest of this movie on? I think maybe, like, there must have been, like, they must have went to high school together because they talk about how she was a cheerleader, so I don't know if it's something, like, that she was always above them, maybe, and thought she was better than them, and this is their chance for payback. I, that's kind of what I thought, but it still doesn't make sense why they're, like, tormenting them after the fact because it seems like they're going to be okay and Don Johnson's going to get them off. So why risk causing more trouble? Yeah, it seems like the movie sort of jumps genres at that point. It starts off and I think we're going to get sort of like this death wishy sort of like schlocky action thing and it turns into sort of more of a melodramatic soapy kind of thing once she gets assaulted and then it becomes kind of like a thriller horror thing like for the last 40 or tries to be or wants to be because that's the only explanation I have as to why they hang the cat they go to the mall and they're like sort of like terrorizing these people after the fact that they've already been assaulted and and, and just like asking for it and this is between i guess the arraignment and the trial or whatever those two different things were so like yeah they they really should just be laying low or like kind of thinking of a plan to get out of dodge and i really wish we were just spending this time learning more about cage's history and seeing what he's plotting to do to these guys like it would have been cool if we even visited his apartment once uh and saw that he had like their pictures on his wall and when he was like plotting to like take them down yeah. or something although i guess there are only four of them mike so it's not a five person conspiracy this is not a snake eye situation mm. well don uh, johnson so is the fifth oh he's the <laughs> ringleader of this conspiracy i like that <laughs> but what's also really weird is that like when it sort of pivots to become that thriller right and we only have the four guys to hunt What's especially strange is that he kills the first guy in cool fashion, that the first guy throws Tina's boyfriend right through his car door window, Mm -hmm. and then Cage, John Wixon, as you said, through the head, and he kills him there. But then the next time, he kills two in one scene. It's like, why are you rushing to get through (laughs) these guys? Right, that was exactly my point earlier. I wish he would have taken his time more, because it goes once, once, like, the first guy, that was fine. Like, the way he killed him quickly, that looked cool. It was actually probably the best... Yes. Uh, like, death of the movie. But then, like, the two brothers were really bad. Like, the one guy gets shot with, like, a shotgun or something, and he goes off the falls, and it looks really, really terrible. I, I like that. I like mm-hmm. that. Like, he, I think it was a hand can. Like, I think it was just, like, like a revolver that just like, oh, you're sent right, him you're right. flying. It was a revolver. Uh, it didn't look good to me when he flew off the falls, but it was still <laughs> so quickly, like, do something, like, something like I saw the devil and just, like, mess around with these guys, toy yeah. them for a little bit. That's what I've been talking about earlier, where it's like he needs to sort of play cat and mouse with them and like tease them and like get them all paranoid and shit. And, and it kind of bugged me that like when their friend gets shot, you don't get any reaction for like they're not spooked. They're not like nope. checking the windows before going out. They're like, yeah, we're going out. Like this guy's got to leave. Like, we're, <laughs> you know, we'll be back. Our friend just got shot and, you know, we're on trial for raping this girl. But like, we're going out. We'll see you around. Yeah, and it's no surprise. Like they all know that Kate shot him too like so it's not it's not like just he randomly died like they know the cop that arrested them killed their friend so you would think they should be a little bit concerned but they just they do not care i guess because they're so white trashy and dumb can you guys explain to me what the phone call was to get the fourth guy to the motel was it like that there's another girl was it the daughter like who i Mm. didn't really catch it and then i was like i don't care enough to rewind this Uh, it wasn't explained no, I, it wasn't explained I either. I assume he paid somebody to make the call for him. Yeah. But there's no no explanation. At one, at one point, I wanted them to cut to, like, the... Uh 
the the lady that was defending Tina, you know, like the the lawyer. That would have been kind of nice if like her and Cage just teamed up for one shot and like he had her make the phone calls and everything. But it, it, yeah, I, I was right there with you, Joey. I was like, why are we hearing this new female voice that we've never been introduced to? And he's and it's like working for Cage. Well, I don't care. <laughs> it's like I just don't care. <laughs> like also, why would when she gets that guy and he makes the guy write like a suicide note? Like, that guy has to know he's dying. So why write the note? Like, why write the note? Why touch the gun? Just let him kill you. Yeah, that's funny, too. He, does, he writes the note. It would, I would have loved to have seen the scene. It would have been such a cage moment if the guy's like, no, I'm not writing the note. And he's like, write it. Write the note. Write, 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 write the note. Write the note. Like, we could right. have had something. Yeah. He did have to yell at him a couple times to touch the gun. That's right. He did, yeah. We got a few of those. Because I guess the, the whole point of the note, right, was to make it look like a suicide because yeah. he writes the note and then he's like touch the gun but he touches like the barrel of the gun and then like we cut to the cops they're like yeah you see that like his fingerprints were all over the gun like what no like what like also why would you touch the gun unless it's like clearing Cage's moral conscience right like oh he went for my gun I had to shoot him you could shoot him in the head wipe your fingerprints off and then put the gun in his hand yeah, I thought maybe, I was like, maybe they're trying to get some type of, like, residue on his hands from the gun being fired is the only thing that made sense to me. Because, yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't just place the gun in his hands after the fact. Exactly, yeah. I mean, in movies, the way I always thought they do it is, yeah, you shoot the guy in the head and then you put the gun in his hand. Like, <laughs> this is all just yeah. crazy Punisher Cage elaboration in the moment, I feel like. <laughs> maybe this is the way he saw it done on TV once or... Or maybe they're trying to say this isn't how it's done in the movies. <laughs> I thought that was actually a pretty good, a uh, pretty good shot to the head too. By the way, yeah, I mean, like that's why it's frustrating because, like, for mm-hmm. the most part, the kills are kind of cool to pretty cool, whatever. But they're few and far between. There aren't enough of them, and there's no build up. Like, it's cool that they're like sort of startling. At least the first one was startling. You know what I mean? Because like, you don't know exactly what he's gonna do. You sort of assume he's gonna kill them, but you don't know that's gonna happen that fast. Like Chris was saying, or do like literally do anything other than what you did here. Like <laughs> the fact that it's just so isolated. We don't see him planning or plotting. You know, like Mike said. You know, we don't see his apartment with like push pins and like string and like here's where I'm gonna get this guy or whatever. I don't know. Just make it seem like cage wasn't just at a bar where he saw a guy was like all right i'm just gonna kill him tonight like that just feels like there's nothing behind it well i think they did try to imply at that point he was stalking them at least with the way like when he was revealed to be sitting in the bar in the booth i mean it still didn't make any sense but i at least i got the sense that he was stalking them but i don't that makes sense but i also saw that like the way that i just saw that was like it was a coincidence like he was just at the bar saw this guy being an asshole it's like all right like now maybe it like sped up his plan i don't know yeah i agree it, it does seem a little convenient but i do feel like there were telltale signs when they were finally gonna be picked off though like when that guy's at the bar he's making a you know an ass out of himself and being loud and drawing attention to himself so it's like okay this is the scene that he's finally gonna get it and then when they show cage in the booth i was like absolutely gonna get it so i i don't know i i definitely feel like there needed to be more build-up and better build-up and less coincidence but i especially since like we've been saying like the actual kills are kind of cool like they might not be entirely as satisfying as other movies but like for this movie they're i feel like they're good they're like average to below average john wick kills except in those movies we get 90 kills as opposed to four yeah. yep exactly if there would have been if there would just been more it would have been fine i mean i don't one of you said this earlier but like how about a whole biker gang like how about that whole garage where she gets raped 
is like a biker bar or like where bikers are hanging out and there's like 20 of them there and only four rape her but the rest mm. don't stop and that's what Cage finds out and that's why he's like okay they all have to die like you, there's so many ways to get other people there even without like being like oh she was gang raped by 20 guys you know what I mean like there's so many things you could do to make the point because it feels like I mean it's right in the title the title is Vengeance you know what I mean like, like this is what the movie's about it's about Cage feeling compelled to protect this woman for some reason I don't know why other than just making sure that the law is upheld which is I guess that conversation with Don Johnson at the end where he's like you might need me one day it's in the title make that more core to your movie's DNA than just oh I'm just gonna kill these guys and the next time I see them yeah it just needed other random baddies for him to take out it didn't need to be people involved in the crime but just anyone else that would have been getting in his way basically yes they needed to be yeah. they needed collateral damage and we didn't get any of that yeah just like punks and pushers on the street getting in his way on a bad day on the way to take out the guys needed to be collateral damage yeah you needed other people's to take out but Joey you know what else is in the title of this movie a love, love story. story yep where the hell is that <laughs> None of the title translates to what I saw. Like, I don't get any of it. No, I don't either. Nope. Story. Like, there's a, there's a well, story, no, kind no. of. The daughter says at the end to Cage, oh. I love you. Damn it, you're right. Oh, so it's a love story between Cage and the daughter? Yeah, I guess. Ultimately. <laughs> huh. <laughs> interesting. Very, she needs a very, very interesting. You know what really, really bothered me about that scene between Cage and the girl at the very end? They're standing between the fence. Like, there's a fence between... And it's just so awkward to look at. Like, it's kind of hard to look at from, like, a framing perspective. It was very distracting. Very, yeah. And I was like, I get you're trying to pour out a metaphor here, but, like, dude, it just... My eyes are... It's killing me. Uh, You just just kill that and, and shoot it normally, please. Yeah, and it made it worse, too, that Cage was like, do you want to come into the station? And she's like, no, thanks. <laughs> and then he just like puts his hand on the fence and she kind of like clumsily puts her hand over his hand and then his partner's like time to go and he's like well, well I gotta go yeah <laughs> and then off screen his partner's like what the fuck are you talking to that little girl for so long like what is going on over there <laughs> did I miss here or did when the bartender was giving his speech about who this girl is who Tina is I think he said that she has a six-year-old daughter, but that girl's way older than six, right? She's like nine or ten. Yeah, yeah but but the, the movie, the rest of the movie picks up three years after that. <laughs> right, time skip. In that one month, she had three birthdays. Anything else to say about this movie? I'm out of notes. Yeah, no, there's actually a bunch of uh, like little things I've written down. Like Go for it. Be- going back to the beginning, um, when he's sitting there with his partner, his partner says, and I went back and watched this this morning, so I could, this is how I knew like the timing was way off. But he says, this is uh, exactly the quote, Kate's sister is coming for Christmas. The husband is this big shot plumber. (laughs) I don't understand that. I mean, I guess if you own your own plumbing business, you could be doing very well and be very wealthy, but I still don't know anyone that would call you a big shot plumber and be that envious of you. Is he Super Mario? That's the only big shot plumber I'm aware of. (laughs) I, this movie does get a lot better if we think it's, if it's in the same universe as a Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> what was his partner doing with like a ring? Like he had a, he had a ring in a box, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the rest of that quote, he says he's the husband is a big shot plumber, always buying her jewelry, which her sister's always showing off, throwing it in Kate's face, you know. And he says, "Well, guess what? Not this year." And then he opens. He has that ring. So I, which I assumed, like, okay, this is a, a Christmas present he's getting her. But then it's weird because it's up north, and it's definitely not December because it looks like 
summer outside. But then then it's April, at least based on what we hear in the next scene. So I guess he bought her a really early Christmas present. (laughs) Which is even more confusing because, like, if you would wait a couple more months, you could have maybe got a better ring and then really rubbed it in the plumber's face. But It's just like a gift for any occasion, and then she can wear it for Christmas when uh, the brother and sister come. You know, she can get used to it. I'll give it to you during the summer and then, you know, break it in. I also, I did like that it came flying out of his... uh, coat when he got shot and cage had to oh, put it back he? yeah it came, it came flying out of his coat and cage put it back and then the guy he's like like cage is talking to him, he's like hang on and the guy just said gotta go and died <laughs> <laughs> that's that's almost like how the simpsons depicts lethal weapon it, it's like yeah. you know <laughs> yeah we just need a cage to like uh yell up in the air whatever the guy's name was which i, I don't know what it was a couple other things that i noticed that were very odd like whoever like did like the art direction for this movie did really weird choices like the grandma's house had a a massive picture of jim morrison like painting yes yeah and that was constantly in frame which just seems bizarre um that didn't fit the rest of the house. I don't know why she would have it. Uh, and then they also went to the the last guy, the guy that he called to the hotel. His room was very strange because he was listening to some type of metal, but then he also had like a painting of James Dean and like a Batman poster. <laughs> and then one of those like uh, those like colorful strobe light things you get at like Spencer's Gifts or something was on. Uh, it's just very odd. Like they just gathered anything they thought that would kind of look cool on camera and throw it in there. I guess it made it interesting. I noticed it all. (laughs) Well, then it worked. It worked. There is also a cameo by Mark Coppola. So one of Cage's brothers. He plays a doctor in the movie. Oh, wow. I didn't catch him. His brother Chris played his brother in Arsenal. Yeah, so his other brother. I didn't catch him in the movie, but I saw him in the credits. And so uh, so then I was like, I'm pretty sure that's his brother. And I checked. And yeah, it's his brother who's a a DJ in San Diego Mm. that goes by the name The Cope. The Cope. Did you guys notice that that hospital was extremely dark for a hospital? Only like half the lights were on. Yeah, like I don't. I've been into a hospital in the middle of the night, and it's bright as hell. Like, <laughs> yeah, I noticed that as well. And there were also like the daughter and the grandmother were like, "What room were they waiting in?" Like, I've never seen a a waiting room at a hospital like that. That's its own room. Like, they had to open a door to go in there. And it was like a dark room where all the lights were out and they were just watching TV by themselves. I did write down, actually, there's one little bit of IMDb trivia about that doctor, about a doctor on there, which I just love for the way that it's written. Zach Sale plays Dr. Collins in Vengeance Love Story. Did you know Zach also played the role of Dr. Todd Blythe in the faith-based hit Miracles from Heaven starring Jennifer Garner? I saw that as well. (laughs) One of ten people found it interesting, and I said, I find it interesting too. So hopefully it's up to two of eleven now. Yeah, that was another another thing that when I was reading that IMDb thing, and I was like, okay, this is Patriot Pictures. They've got this guy from this faith-based movie. Is there like some type of message that they're trying to get across that I'm not quite picking up on? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything to read into this movie at all birthday pie (laughs) (laughs) birthday pie yeah that brother was weird i mean this is just a pet peeve of mine but like whenever people get tattoos on tv or in movies that is nothing that is nowhere near getting like what getting a real tattoo is like i mean just watch ink master and and you could see yeah so that that always bothers me but at least it was quick and mostly out of frame and we got the birthday pie line so i was happy yeah the birthday pie line was definitely worth it and then he went i mean he 
he had like a monologue off that birthday pie and then he didn't eat it in time the candles melt it and he got wax in his teeth and then he doesn't brush his teeth so the wax got stuck it's a whole thing mike have we been in a tattoo parlor since uh racing with the moon oh good call i don't think so no i mean cage wasn't in this one but i just remembered that we had another tattoo parlor years and years and years ago yeah very early cage there with sean penn getting tattoos before shipping off but they yep. wouldn't give him a tattoo, right? Because he was, like, too drunk. drunk. <laughs> yep. Oh, I haven't seen Racing with the Moon in forever. It's pretty good. I have two two other notes that I took down from this movie. Or, no, yeah. Actually, three other notes. Uh, one, the daughter apparently, I guess, dislocated her shoulder during the incident. Because when she was at the hospital, it looked like a nurse or a doctor or somebody, like, popped it back into place. And they did something to her because she was laying down to bed. And they, like, rolled her on her side and messed with her shoulder. And then said, like, made a comment about it being fine now or something. It's very strange. I just know that earlier this year, I dislocated my shoulder. There's no way they could have done that with her jacket on. (laughs) That's now forever going to bug me if I see stuff with dislocated shoulders. Well, I feel like based on that and based on the scene early in the movie, the jacket-based physics of this movie are not at all in line (laughs) with what should happen. (laughs) There's something about like the, the time and it's affecting the outerwear and <laughs> everything's topsy-turvy in this universe yeah that's a good point fourth of july why is she wearing why is she wearing a jacket <laughs> yeah it's the summer i mean oh well and then just a couple other things i noticed they did go to cage's house once and it looks like he has an ongoing game of chess oh, that he's playing right. by himself that's right yeah he moved a piece so that's just interesting that's right he plays chess alone and now i'm figuring that was his he used to play with his wife, who's probably now, she's dead, so he plays by himself. I wish they spent some more time in Casa de la Cage. Yeah, that makes more sense, uh, but again, they, I mean, his wife is only mentioned once, right, at the beginning? Yeah. Actually, she's not even mentioned. He just says he's a widower. We know nothing about her or how she died. And then I watched this with subtitles, which I recommend people doing, just because at the end of the movie, uh, at one point the subtitles read, Sad Voice Humming Music. Oh, <laughs> that is, I don't think I've ever seen that subtitle before. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I don't know if it's an Amazon. I don't know if it's because I watched it on Amazon Prime, so if it's their subtitles or not. But yeah, it was pretty great. Oh, I actually have one other note. I'm disappointed that there was an iguana in this movie. And I feel like now, anytime there's an iguana and cage in the same movie, that they should have at least one scene together. Oh. So we didn't get that. I think the iguana, I think it was in that guy's, the last guy he killed. I think it was in his room, maybe. It was in somebody's room. There was an iguana. Especially when he's sort of, in a way, kind of playing a bad lieutenant. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, he's like just bad lieutenant, but without all the yelling. Yeah, off the drugs, right? He doesn't have all the yeah. crazy drugs. <laughs> or he's taking downers something to keep him more subdued i like i like those that attention to detail that's that's what we get with fresh eyes here on cage club what i didn't write this down but this is a stupid thing that bothered me i didn't like that the the ice cream flavor they said was blueberry swirl because i've never heard of blueberry swirl ice cream but two when they showed the ice cream it was clearly just vanilla (laughs) (laughs) when when the movies are bad then you have to look for these things i feel like there's something about this movie where i'm like i just can't give it the full attention i want to give like there's you you know very sometimes you just know very early on what a movie's gonna be and like you're sort of waiting for the movie to kind of break that mold and like win Mm -hmm. you over and this is it just never comes close here yeah that that's right like i knew I think I, I knew everywhere this movie was going to go. I think we've all seen this movie two or three times, like Death Wish, you know. So there's only so many places they can take it, and this is not where I wanted them to take it at all. I, I was expecting to be surprised and to maybe have them break the mold somehow, but yeah, they never they never got out of that. I was thinking how earlier this summer, the upcoming Death Wish, directed by Eli Roth with Bruce Wilson, was getting all this like 
heat online about like this is maybe not the best time for a white guy to be going around just you know a bald white guy <laughs> right but this is in, in a lot of ways the same movie but just no nobody's seeing it so like nobody cares you know what i mean like if this was a bigger <laughs> movie the same thing would be said of this but it's just like well man imagine nick cage instead of bruce willis directed by eli roth in the oh. death wish remake that would i mean why didn't that happen come on is there a trailer for this movie did either of you see a trailer for this i wonder I did. how this sells it how does it sell it pretty much like it's um a cop-out for vengeance like it, it's like she was assaulted and they got off and now he is out for justice it's vengeance a love story like that's kind of how you know a lot of don johnson going like you don't know what you're talking about a lot of looks of there's that look of cage where he's just sitting alone in the courtroom and he's just like yep. pointing oh, at good nothing look. with that crazy look on his face yep that's in the trailer yeah so it's not sold uh, as the movie you get yeah i don't even know if like tina's barely in the trailer it's pretty much all cage and don johnson well she's not really an important role in the movie i mean she's important because she's the one that all this happens to but like she's given nothing to do like she's just literally an object which is you know again like i said earlier par for the course in cage club there's nothing really empowering about her at all they made one weird quick comment when she got injured about maybe she might have brain damage or something and i really wish they kind of played that that she did have brain damage and that's why she was so weird and after the accident i mean obviously trauma because it was an extremely traumatic incident but i mean it it needed something like that you know what i mean needed like to commit to something extra as opposed to play it safe i was just trying to think how many of cage's recent movies could we string together in a sentence (laughs) <laughs> to tell the story of this like a woman's innocence is stolen a man a cop is out seeking justice a cop full of rage is out <laughs> seeking justice what else what other it's basically um, the last sort of decade of movies what else is what else could we weave into here i mean you could probably work army of one in there somehow oh mm-hmm. a cop full of rage is an army of one he's out seeking justice with his arsenal <laughs> What else do we have? Some thought it was inconceivable that a woman's innocence could be stolen. <laughs> yeah, I don't. There's, there's a lot. Like it's we. Okay, so that's that's what we got to do on another on a later episode, Michael. I think between this and the time the next movie comes out, we should try to come up with like basically voiceover for a trailer for a generic thriller and see if we can get like thirty cage movies into it. Sort of like the How This Get Made theme, where it's all the different movies that they've done, but like all about cage specifically it's good because he's done a lot of like one word movies or yep. like you know like trespass stolen raid he's like, got more coming up what primal mm. primal um, yeah uh xander we can't really use xander let's see what else mandy we could do face off for sure oh yeah mom and dad i think you could get most of them <laughs> uss and Indianapolis. <laughs> men of courage would be hard to work in red yeah. squad maybe between worlds we could definitely do oh man that's kind of like we could do that or if you're listening uh write in mailbag at cageclub.me i want to hear your version of yeah basically trailer voiceover so or like come up with a log line but only using cage titles yeah (laughs) moonstruck oh kick-ass we could definitely do joe i'm actually surprised that mom and dad doesn't have like a real log line that's just cage titles (laughs) seems like something brian taylor would do I'm so, I mean, I'm so excited that movie's getting a lot of attention, you know, it it feels like it's getting more attention than a Cage movie has gotten in the past, like, three or four years. I think because it's good. Like, that's what I hear, you know, like, Mm. it's bananas. I feel pretty strongly that that there's going to start to be, like, I I wrote about it a few, probably a couple months ago now, 
but I think there's a cajusance on the horizon. I think mom and dad's getting really popular or is getting a positive response right now. And I think people are probably going to love Mandy. Well, so we were talking when we did, I think it was in the Army of One episode, which is another thing we could weave in here along with, uh, I just had two others. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry to, to derail my own thought. Oh, uh, next and knowing we could easily weave in too. But I think we talked about an Army of One, like people, I guess semi-rightfully, give him crap for starring in all these movies like this one that aren't very good. But as far as I'm concerned, if you come out with like one really great, really fun movie a year, you can do the rest of these. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't need to see Mm -hmm. this movie again. I can just watch Army of One over and over. I could watch Mom and Dad, which I'm assuming, I'm hoping, I'm going to love. So yeah, maybe he's going to put out eight or nine movies this year. And maybe, you know, I'm never going to see Arsenal again. I still don't even own Arsenal. Like, I'm still waiting to buy that because, like, I own every other movie. I'm like, I can wait until that's dirt cheap because I just don't want to see it again. Inconceivable and Mom and Dad. And, you know, maybe if there's one other one, like, if you make two or three great movies in the year, like, I don't care about the other crap you make. Like, I just don't have to see it. I want to see great things. And this this, this movie, weirdly, Mike, is sort of like a, a combo breaker in terms of him not being the best part of the movie. Actually, I guess inconceivable, mm. too, really, right? Like, for a while, he wasn't in great movies, but he was always the best part. Now, he's not in great movies, and he's not the best part, which is why I think these mm. are diffi- this one's more difficult to watch. Yeah, these last two especially, he's just not in them. Like, that's the biggest bummer, like, when he's sort of regulated to the background like that. Like, you can't you can't put Cage in the corner. Like, he just doesn't fit in a corner, you know? I mean, yeah, and so maybe that's why something like Mom and Dad, where he has much more of a featured role, and just sounds like more where he can cut loose as a character and as a, as a performer with better material, perhaps. But, yeah, it, it, it is it is kind of, you're right, it, we, are, we have sort of, like, hit a wall when it comes to that. Because, like, even we were saying, you know, last year, like not a lot of like great films per se but he was always doing something fun and interesting and worth watching and worth like maybe even sitting through some of those again just to just to sort of study what he's doing and yeah it's just oh man i just i just need more cage per you know per minute (laughs) exactly i can't wait for this film to come out on blu-ray um so i'll still get it right away and i'm very curious to see if there's any um bonus features um, one of the things I like about Nicolas Cage, um, particularly with his direct-to-video stuff, is that he always makes an appearance on the bonus features, whether it's um, behind-the-scenes footage or some type of on-set interview. And that's usually where he justifies, or at least gives his logic as to why he chose a movie or a specific role. For Inconceivable, in the bonus content, he was interviewed, and he said... I immediately thought the script was a marvelous opportunity for two actresses, two great female leads, and that I would be supporting them. I thought that was just a good thing to do all the way around because there aren't a lot of great parts for ladies in Hollywood. Um, He then went on to say, I'm really here to support these two actresses. That's my job to be a supporting force for the two female leads, Um, which I thought was pretty cool. And it kind of explains why he's more in the background of that film. And he never gives that big extra performance that we're so used to um so i'm curious to see what he says about vengeance and what his justification is i do want to hear how he defends this movie then (laughs) um any other last thoughts about vengeance a love story chris overall vengeance a love story is probably one of the more disappointing cage movies for me recently i was really looking forward to seeing it and it kind of teases what i thought it was going to be which was just like Cage going to town on hordes of baddies. Um, But instead, we just kind of get a cool opening 
Cage disappears for 45 minutes, comes back and does a cool, a few other cool things, and then it just kind of ends. So uh, that's sort of a bummer in many ways. Yeah. I wasn't really looking forward to it, but I was looking forward to it a moderate amount for so long, which I felt like <laughs> that's what hurt. So, Chris, where can where can people find uh, you and your writing and all that stuff? Um, you can find me online uh, at Film School Rejects. That's where I write about Nicolas Cage uh, every Friday with the towel of Nicolas Cage. Um, I tried to start by going through his filmography in order, but I just jump around a lot. So um, I never know what I'm going to talk about until a couple days before when I start writing it. Last week, I did The Frozen Ground. Oh. Uh, and this week, I'll most likely talk about Vengeance, a love story, since... It's his newest film, and I just watched it. Uh, also, if you are into horror, especially with October coming up, um, you can check me out at Bloody Disgusting. I've been writing there for a couple years now, and I do a bunch of stuff there. Cool. So you can check that out, and I'll have a lot of good stuff coming in October. It's the best time of the year for people into that. Cool. Mike, any last thoughts about uh, Vengeance, a love story? I forgot the name of the movie for a second. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think we all pretty much share kind of the same feelings here at the end. The only extra thing I want to say is Don Johnson's exit on the motorcycle for the Ooh, win. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. Like, I just, I, I fell off my couch. Like, I was in stitches. I was laughing so hard because him and Cage have, like, this Western-style face-off where, like, they're meeting outside the courthouse. Then he just gets on this big Harley fat boy in his suit and, like, kicks it off and rides on down the road. At least I felt like the movie ended well, <laughs> I guess, with that shot. That you think I'm the bad guy because I defend men that you think are scum? You know, John, we have a document in this country. It's called the Constitution. And in that document, it expressly provides my services for all citizens, even criminals. What's not in that document is vigilante cop justice, even for cold-blooded murderers. Maybe they had it coming. Maybe they didn't. Guess we'll never know now. Who knows? You might even need my services someday. And I hope you'll never need mine. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. I hope you'll be back on a future Cage movie. If you ever, you know... He's so particular with his choices. I don't know if there's anything coming up uh, down the line that, you know, that has a scheduled release date, but, you know... Oh, wait, no, there's, like, four or five more this year, and then there's probably... I wonder if he's going to keep topping his movies. Like, last year he did, what, six? And then this year it's seven or eight? Like, is he going to keep doing more and more per year? Like, that would be amazing. We are rocketing toward 100 movies, Mike. We are we're mm, like, yeah. probably like three years away. And Cage is, is going for it, too. If I'm not mistaken, I heard an interview at one point that he said, yeah, it's going to be a special time. I'm going to definitely shoot for 100. So oh boy. we'll be here. If, the, if he's there, we'll be here. We will always be here. And we'll never be better than this, to steal a Zag Attack quote. Uh, so for all things cage you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on twitter actually as you're listening to this unless something went horribly wrong uh this should be releasing on tuesday september 19th 
which means that yesterday, Cinemakers launched. So Mike and I are joined by frequent Cage Club guest Tobin Addington, and we're going through Steven Soderbergh's filmography to start. So check that out. That's, you know, at all those places. You can also subscribe to this podcast or that or any of other ones on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher. Uh, Mike and I are starting the podcast, Ben Affleck Podcast, December 1st, and then Joe, too, who was on our last episode, who was on the Inconceivable episode, he and I are starting three new podcasts this December, really sort of biting off more than we can chew, <laughs> but stick stick around for all that fun stuff, and you know, lots of things for you to listen to if you like movies and or nostalgia. Wait, you're you're gonna wait three new podcasts? That number you know, three you know all three strikes yeah, a bell. Do. Yeah, you do. I do, but I'm just saying that number three has a significance to me as well, possibly coming up oh, in the future. Oh yes. Hmm. So a little That's clue. Interesting. But yeah, anyway, everything and anything we're gonna do in now and in the future, and also in the past is at cageclub.me, Facebook.com slash cageclub and at cageclubpod on Twitter, and then go to film school rejects and bloody disgusting to see what Chris has written. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Chris Koffel, and we'll see you next time on Keep Club.